Our first reading this morning comes from Exodus in the Old Testament. It is Exodus chapter 33 and it can be found on page 72 of the Church Bibles. Exodus 33 starting at verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Our second reading comes from the New Testament, Gospel of John, and it can be found on page 860 of our Church Bibles. John chapter 1 verse 1 In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. 
John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Well, good morning, friends. My name's James Lewis. I'm a senior assistant minister here, and I have the enormous privilege of uh, opening up that passage with you uh, this morning. Uh, It is God's word and God speaks, so let's ask him now that he will help us to understand and respond faithfully. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for this time, the enormous privilege we have uh, to sit freely and in comfort with your word in our language and to be able to read and discuss and wrestle. We ask that by your spirit you would help us to see clearly to understand deeply the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would worship him and enjoy him all the more. And we pray in his mighty name. Amen. Well, friends, it's uh, that time of year again, as we've said, as we begin the countdown towards Christmas. And, of course, uh, there's an app to help you do that, many apps. Um, So remember, last year we pulled out the app. This year we're doing the app again. Uh, And the app I have on my phone uh, tells me there are 39 days, 14 hours, 20 minutes, and 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 seconds until Christmas. So, so let me ask you, what went through your mind, what stirred in you as you heard that there are uh, 39 days, 14 hours, 19 minutes, and now 50 seconds until Christmas? Perhaps for some of you, uh, you started ramping up the mental to-do list that you've already started. You know, the presents to buy, the shopping to do, the cleaning to organise, the menus to prepare, uh, the to-do list for your to-do list and and on. Um, Perhaps some of you just got really excited because you you love the fun and energy that's on at this time of year. And maybe some of you, your stomach turned as you thought about family who have fought and not really talked to each other anymore or that loved one that's no longer with you to celebrate at Christmas. Or perhaps some of you are unmoved by the countdown. You don't quite get why we get so kooky and excited this time of year. And it does seem a little bit trivial after what's happened in Paris and Beirut in the last few days. So we all have different reactions to the countdown to Christmas, don't we? But here's the thing. We know Christmas is about Jesus. That as verse 14 says, uh, the word, the son of God, Jesus, came into our world and lived among us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. But every year we seem to lose that in the hype that goes on at this time of year. I mean, I'm a pastor, I uh, lead Christmas services and it happens to me. We get caught up in all the hype and we forget about Jesus. And so we get to Boxing Day and we think, oh, I guess that's it for another year. And we never really see beyond, never really grasp beyond a Jesus who's a baby in a manger. So how do we change that? Well, John, in his biography of Jesus, in this opening chapter, does this thing. He writes the opening part of his gospel, his biography of Jesus, in the opposite direction to his experience. See, his experience didn't begin with 
in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. He didn't get that straight away. He didn't get that for three years. No, no, his experience was that he met this man, Jesus. And he started following him. And very quickly he discovered that this man was like no other man. He walked with Jesus for three years. He learnt from Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He saw Jesus heal the sick and raise the dead. He saw Jesus crucified on a cross and then risen from the dead. And he realised that this Jesus that he had followed as a friend and teacher was the Word who was there in the beginning, the Word who became flesh. And so that's where he starts his gospel, not where his experience started, but where he arrived. So, So why does he do that? Why start where he ended, not where he began? Why not take us on the journey that he went through? I think it's because right from the beginning, he wants us to marvel at Jesus. Right from the beginning, he wants us to be in awe of Jesus. Right from the beginning, he wants us to worship Jesus. And so my hope and prayer for the next four weeks as we dig deep into John chapter 1 is that we would get beyond a baby in a manger to see the Jesus who rules the universe. That we would get beyond a Jesus that you could cuddle in your arms, put in the family room, to a Jesus that holds the universe in his arms. That we would marvel at Jesus. That we would have a Christmas this year like no Christmas we've ever had before. So what we're going to do today is we're going to marvel at three things about Jesus. We're going to marvel at who Jesus is. We're going to marvel that Jesus made you. We're going to marvel that we have seen his glory. So first of all, marvel at who Jesus is. Verse 14 is the Christmas verse that the word who we learn in verse 17, 18 is Jesus, the son of God. The word became flesh and lived among us, that he came into our world. But to get the full power of this, to see beyond a baby in a manger, we need to go back to verse 1. And there we read, in the beginning was the word. See, you and I have a beginning. Norwest Anglican Church has a beginning. This city of Sydney has a beginning. The universe has a beginning. But the Word has no beginning. So, so no matter how far, how many thousands, millions, billions, trillions of years you want to go, it began to when time and space as we know it began, the beginning, the Word was already there. Now, It's still a complicated way to start, isn't it, to say in the beginning was the Word. Why not say in the beginning was the Son of God or in the beginning was Jesus, something that we understand better? Why say in the beginning was the Word? And it's because John wants us to marvel. He wants to lift our eyes beyond the baby in the manger, and so he points us to the Word. Now, in the ancient Greek world, the Word, or as they would have called it, the Logos, uh, was a massive idea. Uh, They understood it to be the the very purpose and structure and design of the universe. And and so philosophers would debate the meaning of the Logos because um, they reasoned that if they could grasp it, if they could get their head around it and, and tap into the design of the universe, then they could unleash blessing in their lives because now they were in line with the structure and design of the universe. So Oprah Winfrey, you know Oprah Winfrey, that great theologian and philosopher, Uh, she was promoting something similar when she got behind that book uh, called The Secret by Rhonda Byrne a few years ago. And the basic idea of the book The Secret is that the universe works on the law of attraction. So if you think good thoughts, 
and make good positive decisions and make positive actions, then you will attract good things into your life, blessing into your life. Do you see it's a similar idea to the Logos? There's a design, there's a structure of the universe. And if you can just tap into that, then blessing will flow to you. And deep down, we, we have something like that inside us. Don't we all long for a life that works? That just makes sense? That if we could just work out what that is, then we'd have a great life. That, that's the kind of idea that John is tapping into when he says, in the beginning was the word. He says, let me introduce you to the very design and structure and purpose of the universe. But it's more than that, because the word is not just about purpose and design. No, no, as you read the Old Testament, you see that the word is the very self-expression and presence of God. So God creates by his word. God reveals by his word. God judges by his word. God saves by his word. It is his very self-expression and presence. To put it really simply, it's the way that God grabs hold of us and looks us in the eye and says, I want you to know me. So this is big, right? In the beginning was the word. John says, let me introduce you to the very design and structure and purpose of the universe. Let me introduce you to the very self-expression and presence of God, the word. In the beginning was the word. And then he does something even more amazing. Keep reading. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So he tells us that the Word isn't some abstract idea or a mechanical design of the universe or just a philosophy uh, kind of concept or just a note from God, but a person who was with God and was God in the beginning. He is, verse 14 and 17, as we read before, Jesus, the Son of God. Wow. Do you see what John has done? He has lifted our eyes beyond a baby in a manger to marvel at Jesus, who was there in the beginning, who was God and was with God. Friends, marvel at who Jesus is. And marvel that Jesus made you. Verse 3. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, let's do a quick quiz. What does all things mean? Does it mean most things or just even quite a few things or just uh, things on earth but not in the wider universe? No, all things means all things. So, so no matter how many things that you and I could rack our brains and do a big list to, to come up with, Jesus made them all and a trillion more. So, so picture this with me. There's a picture from Carol's last year. And everything that you see, Jesus made. And, and if you travelled around our beautiful country, everything that you saw, Jesus made. And if you got a round-the-world plane ticket and travelled all over our amazing planet, everything that you saw, Jesus made. And if you get in a rocket ship and launch into the farthest reaches of the universe, travel for millions and millions of light years, everything that you saw, every amazing discovery that caused your jaw to drop and be in a wonder and to marvel at, Jesus made it all. So is there anything that Jesus didn't make? Well, verse 3 says, Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He made it all. So get your head around this. 
when Jesus was in Joseph's carpentry shop making chairs and tables, he'd already made the universe. Talk about overqualified. And when in Mark chapter 4, Jesus went out on the boat with uh, his disciples for a trip. And as they headed out, that storm blew up. They were so fierce that experienced sailors who'd sailed all the time, they were in fear of their life. They thought they were going to die. It was so awful. And then Jesus stood up in the boat and he spoke to the wind and the waves and he said, quiet, be still. And in a moment, the wind and the waves were quiet and still. The wind and the waves were obeying the voice of their creator. The same word that had created them and shaped them. And then in John chapter 4, there's an amazing conversation Jesus has with a Samaritan woman beside a well. It's a conversation where as they talk more and more, he begins to peel back the layers and get to her deepest longings and brokenness. And her reaction is not to run away and be defensive. That's often how we react to when people expose us. But she becomes a worshipper. She runs back to her neighbours and says, let me tell you about a man who told me everything I'd ever done. Because it was the voice of the one who made her. He knew her because he had knit her together in her mother's womb. Friends, we could go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, with story after story where we see the word Jesus walking amongst his creation like a shepherd calling each of his sheep by name. So friends, when you read the Gospels, when you sing Christmas carols, When you think of baby Jesus in the manger, marvel at this. He made me. Jesus made me. Friends, this Christmas, marvel at who Jesus is. Marvel that he made you. And finally, marvel that we have seen his glory. Return to our Christmas verse. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We, we sort of get this. It's, uh, we sort of get that it means that the Son of God entered our world. Uh, we know that and it's very true to say, but do you see how easy that just rolls off the tongue? The uh, Son of God entered our world, the word became flesh. It doesn't fill us with awe. We don't worship. I remember when I was at university, a bunch of us trying to come up with an illustration to kind of capture what it meant for God to become a man. And we talked it around for a while and then someone said, oh, maybe it's like um, an ant farm. You know, imagine if you built an ant farm and put it together and you provided food and protected and cared for the ant farm and then you became an ant and lived in the ant farm. Kind of works. If you get the sense of the chasm that God crossed to come and be with us, the humility of Jesus, and yet it just feels a little bit, trivial and flippant to say that God becoming a man is like us becoming an ant. I mean, how do you grasp, how do you illustrate that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us? How do you grasp, how do you illustrate that the word who was there in the beginning, who was God and was with God, who made all things, didn't appear in a vision, didn't drop in for a little while, but embraced and took on our humanity He was born in first century Palestine. He grew up in Nazareth. He lived among us. These are the ponderings that ought to fill up our hearts and minds at Christmas as we sing of a baby in a manger. But there's more here because John doesn't just say that the word became flesh and hung out with us for a while. No, look what he says. 
The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So, friends, I want you to imagine for a moment that you grew up in first century Israel. Your parents were devout Jews. And so you grew up reading the Old Testament, hearing the Old Testament. You knew the stories. You knew the stories of Moses, like we read from Exodus 33 just a little while ago. And then you heard John say, and we have seen his glory. Your jaw would drop. You'd be floored, dumbfounded, amazed, speechless that we could see his glory. We tend to have a bit of a sentimental view of God's glory and presence, a bit like it's having tea and scones by a fire or having God round for a barbie on a Sunday afternoon. But the Old Testament Jews knew the that God's presence and glory was fierce and dramatic. Exodus 19, when God appeared to his people on Mount Sinai to give them the law, the mountain shook with thunder and lightning, and they were afraid to approach. And even Moses, who perhaps had the most intimate relationship of all God's people in the Old Testament with God, when he pleaded to see God, to be in God's glory and presence, God said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you but he said you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live and so john says no one has ever seen god now that's not that god is cranky you can't be in his presence because he's cranky like a parent who gets annoyed at the kids because they're stomping around the house and keep bursting in on their office while they're trying to make an important business call no it's that god He's so pure and so holy and we are so broken and sinful we cannot survive in his presence. And so no one has ever seen God. And so we have a problem like Moses. We need God. We, deep down we long for his presence in our lives but we cannot be with him. But then the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is his glory? Is that he is full of grace and truth there in verse 14. We see Jesus' grace and truth in his miracles. We hear Jesus' grace and truth in his teaching. We sense Jesus' grace and truth as he loves and serves those around him. And we receive his grace and truth as he dies in our place and for our sins on a cross. Do you marvel at that? We need God, but we can't be with him. So God came to us. God came to fight for us. He humbled himself. He limited himself. He accommodated himself to us to pour out grace and truth upon us. Verse 16 says, Out of his fullness we've all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and his closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The Christian, Canadian Christian writer and preacher, Don Carson, uh, tells the story of when he was studying in Canada, a university in the 1960s. Uh, there was a, a man from Pakistan who was living in the dorm just down the hall from him, And they befriended each other. Uh, And as they got to know each other, Don shared that he was a a Christian and this man from Pakistan shared that he was a Muslim. Uh, They kept talking about their different ideas, different religions. 
because this man was from Pakistan and he was in what he believed was a Christian country in Canada, he decided he should go to church. And he asked Don, um, what parts of the Bible should he read to find out about Christianity? Don said, well, you might want to start with John's Gospel. Start at John chapter 1. And so he agreed to do that. Christmas that year came around and Don realized that uh, this man had no one to stay with, no friends or relatives, so he invited him to come and stay with his family for Christmas. And in the days after Christmas, Don took him for a bit of a tour around Ottawa and the sights that you see and so on. One afternoon, they ended up in the Canadian Parliament building and they joined one of those tours that take you around. And at the end of the tour, they entered uh, the great foyer and in the foyer there are these pillars uh, and on top of the pillars are little statues. And the, the tour guide was saying that each of the statues represent the things that government must be based upon. And so he pointed to one statue and he said, there's Aristotle, for government must be based on knowledge. And there's Socrates, for government must be based on wisdom. And there's Moses, for government must be based on law and so on. And then he said, any questions? And, and Don's friend stuck up his hand. He said, yes, where is Jesus Christ? And the tour guide said, I, I, I beg your pardon? And, and the Pakistani Muslim man, thinking the reason he'd said, I beg your pardon, is he hadn't said it clearly and loudly enough. So he said at the top of his voice, where is Jesus Christ? So now you have three tour groups in the Canadian Parliament building listening to a Pakistani Muslim ask, where is Jesus Christ? Well, the tour guide uh, was a bit perplexed and he said, well, what do you mean? Why, why should he be here? And Don's friend looked absolutely dumbfounded he said well i read in the christian bible that law came through moses and grace and truth came through jesus christ so where is jesus christ and don's thinking testify brother preach it (laughs) you see he was a muslim he knew about the power of God and the sovereignty of God and the demands of God and the law of God. He understood that. He was able to get his head around that. But as he read John and he met the word become flesh, full of grace and truth, he was captivated. He was beginning to marvel at Jesus. Friends, let that be our common, lasting experience. That as we celebrate Christmas... That as we sing Christmas carols, we would marvel at Jesus. We would worship Jesus, who was there in the beginning, who was God and was with God, who made all things, who became flesh and showed us his glory full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for John chapter 1. We thank you that we have had our eyes opened again this morning to the glory and the majesty of Jesus. Please help us to see, to marvel, to worship, that eyes would be lifted again and again beyond a baby in a manger, that we would thank you this Christmas that your son humbled himself and came into our world and was born as a baby. But let us not just sit there with the baby, but to worship and marvel the Jesus who rules the universe and came and humbled himself for our sake to pour out grace and truth upon our lives. Please give us an extraordinary Christmas in that way. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.